0: Well, good morning. It is good to be in the Lord's house, isn't it? It's good to have air conditioning, too. Be prepared. Tomorrow, my phone says 108. Can you believe that? And it's only June. It'll get hotter. It'll get hotter. If you have your Bibles, let's open them to Jonah, the book of Jonah, chapter 3. The book of Jonah, chapter 3. I want to talk to you today on the subject of revival. Revival. Um, not the week long type revivals that we talk about, but just a revival in our hearts, uh, a revival in our churches and a revival in our land. Do you ever look at the news and just get discouraged? Um, the wickedness that 's in our land you know we just recently had these elections and we 'll have more elections this year and, and they 're already talking about the two thousand and sixteen elections and all of these things and I remarked to someone, I don't even know what to do anymore as far as voting, because it doesn't really matter if you vote Democrat or Republican. They all get your vote, and they run to Washington, and they do whatever they want anyway. And uh, we're, we're in trouble. And while folks are running around playing politics, our nation is in decline, isn't it? And uh, you sometimes get to the point, and I hear people say, it's too late for a revival. We've gone too far. We've, we've reached that point of no return. And I'm kind of the optimist. I mean, I get discouraged at times, but I don't believe it's ever too late for God to move. That if he could take Lazarus, who was already dead in the grave for three days, and call him out, uh, he can do that with our country and with our nation. And one of the prime examples of that to me has always been in the book of Jonah. You know the story of Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the great fish. Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh and preach to a wicked people. He went up and headed the opposite direction. The fish swallowed him, and Jonah, of course, repented, which most of us would do if we'd been swallowed by a fish, but Jonah repented had a little revival in his own heart, I guess, and so the fish spit him up on the land that God had called him originally to go to. Something to note about that: it's always easier to do what God tells us to the first time than get God to... Send a fish to swallow us, amen? So he sends him there, and Jonah preaches, and I love the fact that his message was very simple. He didn't say a whole lot, Um, very brief message, but it brought about revival. Listen to the words of Jonah 3, 1 through 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was his message. How many of you would say amen this morning if uh, the length of the message was, was that long today? <laughs> Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I could say, come in here and say, Forty days, and the country's going over to be overthrown. And, uh, some of you would say, Amen, nice short message. Some of us would say, Whoa, we better fix something if it's only forty days. But short message... that he had said would do to them, he would do to them, and he did not do it. That is a great, great story of revival. How that God had set out to destroy this great city because of their wickedness, and a message from God is delivered to them, and they repent. I mean, they pull off the robes, they pull off the crown, the king does, everyone covers themselves in sackcloth and ashes, and they turn from their wicked ways. They they pronounce a fast in the land, they pray on God, uh, pray to God, and then they say, maybe if we'll do these things, God will forgive us. Maybe God will bring revival to our land, maybe he'll heal us, and God did just exactly that. And so for those that would say, hey, it's too late for revival in America, we'll never turn it around now, I think we need to go back and look at some of the revivals in God's word and understand that it's never too late for God to bring revival, that God will do what he says he'll do, and he will listen when we call out to him, he'll forgive us when we repent, he'll honor us when we turn from our wicked ways, and we need revival in our land today, just like Nineveh needed revival in their time. We need it desperately. America needs revival, amen? We need it in our government, don't we? First of all, we need it in our government. And as I mentioned earlier, it's hard to know who to vote for these days. And it doesn't matter what party they are. They all seem to be just as wicked as each other. They're drunk on power. They're drunk on authority. They're drunk on making decisions. And they'll say one thing about their morals today. And yet when they get to Washington and it may cost them votes, they'll change their mind and make up a different way. I'd say we need revival in our land. When you look at some of the atrocities that are being committed in our land and we say that it's legal and Congress has passed laws and the president has signed laws in, we need revival. And God is going to judge America one day for the evil that we commit under our law. Just this last week, I was so frustrated as I looked at one of the states that had passed a law concerning marriage and what happens. The federal judges come in and they overturned the law. I thought with all that's gone on with the Taliban and exchanging prisoners, I thought maybe we could just bring the Taliban here and send our federal judges over there. That might be a better trade for us. But we need revival in our land, don't we? What was once considered wrong is no longer considered wrong. We've thought that we could legalize things that God says are wrong. We've thought that we could make them once again right when God has said they're wrong. We need revival in our government and in its leaders. But it doesn't begin there, does it? We can sit and we can complain about Washington, D.C., or Sacramento, or our politicians and our leaders, but revival doesn't begin there. It begins right here. Not only do we need revival in our government, but we need it in our schools, don't we? We need it in our schools. I'll tell you, if there's any group of our believers that need us to pray for them every week as they go to work, it is our teachers and those that work in our schools, they perhaps have one of the most exciting and yet one of the most frightening jobs in all of the land. Exciting because they're given the opportunity to shape young minds, but discouraging and frightening because they realize just how far our nation has slipped when you see even young people doing things that we would have never dreamed of doing even as adults. We begin to see the decay in our land when young people's morals slip. And we have removed God from our schools, we've removed any hint of faith from our schools. We've removed and taken the Bible out and denied God, and and we make a mockery of those who believe. And we depend extremely on our teachers and workers who go into these schools to shine us lights in those places. That maybe they can't talk about God there, but maybe the children could see a little glimpse of God in their teachers and workers there. We need revival in our schools. We need revival, though, in our families, too, don't we? Families in America are in trouble. The institution of marriage is under attack, isn't it? We've tried to redefine it, reshape it. Commitment has been thrown out the door and forsaken. When people say, till death do us part, they no longer mean what they say. They're just pretty words and a part of a ceremony. And the family is under attack, and we need revival. We need revival of men that will step up and be husbands that God wants them to be and wives that will step up and be the wife that God intends them to be. Moms and dads to parent the way God intends them to parent and not what some expert in a book at Barnes & Noble has said, but what God has said in his word. We need revival in our families. We need to take back the authority that we've given to other things and give it to God in the home, shouldn't we? It used to be that we said God is the center of the home, that he is everything. But unfortunately, in our generation, in our culture, with our selfishness and materialism, money and things have begun to be the centerpiece of the home. And everything revolves around it, doesn't it? Mom and dad both work in order to provide things, and meanwhile the family falls apart, and somehow we've created a a catch-22 or a wave that we can't seem to get off of where mom can't quit her job and dad can't cut his hours back. We are going like crazy and wearing ourselves out, and our families are falling apart. We need revival in our families, and we need revival in our churches, don't we? I think probably one of the most frustrating things for me as a pastor is to read about other churches and and see what they're doing and hear stories of what they're doing. And sometimes we struggle to help our churches grow, and, and we get a little frustrated because why isn't my church growing and why is this church growing? And the reality is this. I believe that we need revival in our churches, that our churches have become entertainment centers more than anything else today. That we're more concerned with our bands and our instruments and our sound systems and and the look of the color of the room and the lighting of the room and the smoke machines in the room and all of these things. And we've, we've made church into a production rather than a simple time for us to come and worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Rather than a house of prayer where we come and call out to God. Rather than a place where we come and we listen for God to speak to us in that still small voice. We have cluttered his house with so much noise and things that draw attention away from him and his word. We need revival in our churches. In our churches today, we avoid preaching the whole counsel of God's word. We're afraid to preach certain passages of scripture because we're afraid we'll hurt somebody's feelings. We're afraid that if I preach on this, then this family will get upset. If we preach on that, then this family will get upset. And if I preach on the whole thing, somebody's going to get upset and they're going to leave and we won't have a crowd and we won't be able to keep up with the big church down the street. And because of that silliness, we need revival in our pulpits, don't we? Where we just preach the Word of God as it's written and make no apologies for it. Just say, Thus saith the Word of God. We need revival. We've lost our passion for God, haven't we? We've lost our passion for His Word, and we've lost our passion for the lost. We need revival in our churches, but it really doesn't even begin there. We need revival in our hearts, individually, because churches are made up of people. And if revival's gonna begin in our land, in our schools, in our churches, in our communities, it's going to begin right here in our own hearts. And if we were to take an a honest inventory of our lives and say, God, am I doing all that I should be doing? God, am I living completely the way that I should be living? God, are there things in my life that, that need to be addressed? If we'd be honest and open with that and maybe pray the prayer of David who said, Search me, O oh God, and know me. Try me, put me to the test, and see if there's any unclean thing in me. Maybe if we would do that, God would begin to reveal to us that if we would address these issues, revival would break out first in our hearts, and then in our churches, and then in our families, and then in our world. We need revival, and it's not too late. If God could turn Nineveh, he can turn us. If God could bring back and, and hold back his judgment on that great city, he can do it in America. But it begins with us. So where did we get off track, though? How do we come from a place where this was once considered a quote-unquote Christian nation to the nation it is today? How do we come to a place where uh, Kathy was in a Bible study the other day and the gentleman travels and, and goes all across the world doing mission trips and he's talking about one particular country where they don't necessarily have a state religion, but all the children come to school and they bring things from their religious faith and they share them with everyone else. And the man said, it's kind of sad that in our nation, we are considered a Christian nation and the one thing we can't talk about is our Christianity. How, do we, how did we get there? Second Chronicles gives us a recipe for revival. And I want us to look there, and I want us to begin in verses 19 through 22, and then we're going to jump back because 19 and 22 kind of tell us where we've gone wrong. It is what God has told them where they had gone wrong. It says in verse 19, But if you turn aside and forsake, forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my hand that I have given you. From the land that I have given you. And this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast it out of my sight. And I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, and brought them out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods. And worship them and serve them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster upon them. The occasion of this writing is that David and Solomon have finished the the temple. It has been completed. And they have offered up a prayer of thanksgiving to God and they've dedicated this temple. And God has come down and he has said, I'm pleased with this. And I'm going to dwell here and I'm going to make my presence felt here. But then he warns them of falling away. And that's something for us to know that just because we have been right with God and done the right things in the past does not mean that we may not slip away from God. And so he warns them, but if you ever get to the place, he says, where you abandon me, where you walk away from me, where you forsake my words and you go after other gods, he says, trouble will follow. And specifically, the trouble there, he says, the stranger will walk by the church, by this temple that you have built, and they'll say, what did these people do that God would treat them this way? What did these people do that God would abandon them? And the answer at the end of the passage is because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them out of Egypt, and they laid hold on other gods and worshiped them. We get off track, first of all, when we forsake God. When we forsake God. We had an excellent Sunday school lesson this morning. And one of the things that got brought up was church attendance. And, and I'll tell you what, we abandon God when we abandon his church, don't we? When God's church is empty on Sundays and everything else is full, that is a sure sign that we have abandoned God in our nation. Everything else is out there. And everything else becomes more important to us than the worship of our God. We're in trouble. We need revival in this land. And it begins with each and every one of us. And we abandon God in more ways than just worship, don't we? Because worship is not sufficient. If the only place it takes place is in this house, then we're in trouble. God needs to be the God uh, that is in this church that we worship today. But he's the same God that goes home with us this afternoon. And many have abandoned God in their homes. They no longer talk of God there. They no longer speak of God there. They no longer sing of God there. They no longer teach their children about God there. And all the while, Deuteronomy said that we are to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might. And we're to do it at home. And when we leave home, and when we go to bed, and when we get up, and when we walk by the way, we have abandoned God in many ways. And that's when we need revival the most. The second thing he said was that they have went after other gods. And we get off track when we forsake God for other things. I think we pride ourselves sometimes on the fact that we're not idolatrous in America. That we're not idol worshipers. We don't have statues most of us set up in our homes. We don't have them set up in our yards. We don't believe in idols. But the reality is we have idols, don't we? Other things, anything that comes between us and God is an idol. Anything that that we elevate to a place of such importance that we'll put God second to it, it has become an idol to us. And I think most of us would admit in America, we are an idolatrous nation. Church is okay, God is okay, but there are other things that take precedence. We need revival. We get off track. But there is always hope for revival, isn't there? When we begin to realize that we have maybe forsaken God, that we've run away from God, that we have left him behind, and and it is easy to do that without even realizing it, we put something down and and we move on, and, and next thing you know, we forgot where we left it. And we've done that with God. Maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you've been in church your whole life, and you haven't completely abandoned God, but he's not number one in your life anymore. We can abandon God. And Kevin mentioned this morning our bus and how important it is that we bring children in on the van and how long we've run it. And, and praise God, we've got adults that are in this church as a result of that bus ministry. But there are many who have abandoned God through the years, haven't they? And every year we see it. And we, we, had, we celebrated graduation this year. And we had five graduates in the church. And, and that is great. And I hope a year from now, all five of them are still here. And I hope five years from now, they're still here. But in most churches today, the statistics are very grim. That most children drop out of church before they ever finish high school. And they abandon. They walk away from this God. It's very easy. And it's very easy to let other things get in the way. And we're in trouble when that happens. But revival can be had. When you go back to the previous verses, 11 through 16, Solomon says, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. And when you think about those things, God says, when I do these things, There are things that happen in this life that that aren't just because things. Not everything is a coincidence. Not everything is just an act of nature. There are times when we get away from God, when he will deliberately bring judgment into our path in order to steer us back to him. The New Testament says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. That if he cares for us and we get out of line like a mother or father who cares for their children, we discipline our children and God loves us and he will discipline us. And so God speaks and he says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain. And we know a little taste of drought right here, don't we? A little taste. I was talking to John and John, I think, follows the rain and the weather more than any of us that he made mention of just an inch or two, could just devastate us. That it's just a little bit of rain, less than we need, can wreak so much havoc. And while we're in the midst of this drought, do you realize that if God wanted to, that if this state of California or this nation keeps turning, that God could just stop the rain completely? Do you know what that would do to our economy? Do you know what that would do to our nation? God is in control. He says, or if I commanded the locusts to devour the land. I was in the Bay Area for so long, and in the Bay Area it was just basically people in traffic. That's all we had. Here it's all orange trees and walnut trees and things like that. And so it's kind of interesting every year when I see different warning signs about this moth or this beetle or this cricket and and then you see on the news this major news alert because some kind of bug is in the orchards out here in the orange groves and they're con- contaminated. And they realize just how sensitive these things are that the wrong element brought in could wipe us out. And God says, listen, if you turn your back on me, if you walk away from me, he's not saying out of anger or out of hatred that he would punish us. He's saying because I love you, I'll discipline I'll do what it takes to get your attention. He says, I could send pestilence among the people. But he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And he gives us the answer for revival. When we have walked away, when we have forsaken God, when we've forgotten the commitments that we made to him, when we need revival, he says there are three things that need to take place. One is we need to humble ourselves. And that is on a personal level. Isn't that what needs to take place for us to get into a right relationship with God. In fact, in the New Testament, he said, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We need to come to a place where we fall on our knees before God and realize he is God, we are not. He is in control of everything, we are not. He is Lord of it all. He created it all, including me. And everything that I have or will ever have belongs to him, and is on loan from him. He says, if my people will humble themselves and seek my face. We know revival will break out when God's people humble themselves and when God's people begin to seek the face of God. I think revival can be spotted when you begin to see the church pews full. Something's going on. When you begin to see not just the church pews full on Sunday morning, but folks hungering for God and seeking God so much so that they're in Sunday school and they're in Bible study and they're studying God's word on their breaks at work and they're listening for God's messages on there. They're just constantly seeking God and his will in their life. When you humble yourselves and seek my face and pray and turn from your wicked ways when repentance really takes place. We sometimes desire things but are unwilling to pay the price for them. How many of you struggle with that same thing in areas? I was uh, somewhere the other day, and I saw a movie poster. And it showed some guy, and he was, you know, just kind of an average Joe guy. And he was there, and he had his belly hanging out, and he was just there. And I thought, that looks like me, you know. And then the poster next to him was another guy, and he was just ripped with muscles. And I thought, that looks like how I would like to look. And how I could look if I was willing to do what it takes to get there. And I think that's kind of what he's getting at. That when we want revival, we also have to be willing to turn from our wicked ways. We have to be willing to do something to get revival. We have to be willing to forsake the things that have come between us and God. What is it that we're holding on to? What is it that is so important to us that that we can't let go of it in order for God's presence to be felt in our life again? But I want to close this morning by just sharing a few things that stand out about God. We, We talked about the need for revival. We talked about how we have revival. But when we really get serious about revival, listen to what the Scripture says about God. It says that he sees and hears his children. He said, if my people would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, he says, I will hear from heaven. I'll heal their land. And he talks about his eyes always being open and his ears attentive to us. And God is that way. In fact, in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7, when God is speaking to Moses at the burning bush, God says this in verse 7, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings. We want revival, and the greatness is we serve a God who loves us, who sees us, who hears us, and who understands what we're going through in this life. If we would only cry out to him. And in our passage today, he specifically talked about the eyes of the Lord. God said, my eyes are there in this temple. Proverbs 15 and 3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. You ever done something stupid, and the first response you do is look around to see if anybody saw you do it? (laughs) I mean, we can do something really dramatic and wonderful, and no one ever catches us doing that, do they? I remember, I was playing golf one time at the Vallejo Golf Course. We had a golf course in the middle of a horse race track. It was a little nine-hole course. And I was on the ninth hole there, and, and I'm all by my lo- lonesome. I had snuck out to play a little golf, and, and there I am. I'm fighting off the geese because that course was overrun with geese. And I pull out a nine iron and I line up and I shoot the thing and it just goes sky high, comes down and I'm telling you, half of the ball was on the edge of the cup and the other half on the grass. And I felt like I was Tiger Woods or something and I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, and and I look around and realize there's not a soul out there. I didn't have my phone with me, I couldn't even take a picture to prove it and even if I did, it really wouldn't have proved it. I was so angry, and I told Pastor Sam Hinsley, who's at the barrier, I went back and told him, man, I hit it this close. He goes, yeah, right, Uh (laughs) uh-huh. No one ever sees those, but man, when we do something stupid, everybody sees it, don't they? You know what he says? He says, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, and he beholds the good and the bad. That's a double-edged sword, isn't it? But this morning, listen, when we get ready to call out for revival and to repent, it's good to know that God's eyes are right there and that He sees us on our knees calling out to Him. He's not forsaken us. We've forsaken Him. The eyes of the Lord. And then He talked about the ears of the Lord. He says, my ears are attentive. And Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, Or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. He says it's not that God has a hearing problem. It's not that God just can't physically hear us cry out to him. He says it is our sins that have gotten in the way. And God will not listen to us by choice until we repent of those sins. How many of you have ever heard a kid say, I hear you, but I'm not listening? It's not that God doesn't hear. It's that until we deal with these sins, he doesn't listen. Scripture says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. And then he talked about the heart of the Lord in this passage of Scripture in 2 Chronicles. He says, my heart is there in this temple. And the best passage that I can think of regarding the heart of the Lord is in Luke 15, 3 through 7. And it really speaks to revival. It says, so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. When we talk about the heart of God, it's important for us to understand that more than anything else, God loves when his children come home that if he had a 100 sheep and one were lost, he'd leave the 99 in a safe place and he'd go searching for that one. God loves the fact that we've all gathered here this morning. The Bible says that God rejoices when his children gather together in unity, that it is a sweet thing to God. But there's more rejoicing when one sinner comes home. Maybe this morning you'd say, you know, I've been in the fold before. I've been one of the sheep before, but I have drifted away from God. I've forsaken him. I've allowed other things to creep into my life and capture my attention and my devotion. And I'm in need of revival today. I need God to light a fire in my heart. The good news is God sees you right now. He hears you right now. And his heart is for you right now. And if you and I would just make this return to God, if we'd humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, like the good shepherd, he'll lift us upon his shoulders and he'll carry us the rest of the way. And the rejoicing will begin. Maybe you're here today and that's you. You've drifted. It's time to come home. Maybe you're here and and you're just in a spiritual lull and you need revival in your soul. You need to recapture the joy and the excitement of serving God. Are you ready for that? Because we can pray about our nation over and over again. We can pray about our schools and our communities. We can pray about our churches. But the reality is revival begins with us. What would happen in this church if we all caught fire for God? What would happen in this community if this church caught fire for God? What would happen in this state if this community experienced revival? What would happen in this country if California experienced revival? But it begins with us. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, the privilege of being here with your people. And, Lord, uh, thank you for our church, not, not just this building, God, but thank you for the people who make up this church. And, God, we ask your hand be upon Gail and Forrest today. I pray, God, that you would bring healing to her body, that you would strengthen her as she goes through these treatments. I pray that you'd be with Forrest and that you would comfort him. And, Lord, just make your presence known to him in a, in a very special way, Lord, during these next several months. Father, we pray that you'd bless what we have to give here today. And, Lord, let it be used uh, in a powerful way to meet these needs. Uh, We love you. We thank you, God, for all that you do in our lives. Thank you, God, for our health, which sometimes we take for granted. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.